Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. The whole of creation is wired for a collaborative lifestyle. Let me put my third slide up here. Use Trump's possession and use Trump's ownership is the language of these collaborative people around the world. In other words, we're moving from a generation that owns and possesses to a generation that would rather use and hand back than have the responsibility of owning and financing it and the burden of it in my life long term. Use Trump's possession, access Trump's ownership. Um, my next picture of a drill. Anybody own a drill? Here's what I found about a drill. The average use of a drill over its lifetime is 15 minutes. <laughs> That's what this collaborative mind is making us think about. Like, how often do I use the drill? I can't remember the last time I had it out. But I've got one. But really, the issue is you need the hole. You don't need the drill. Think about it. I don't need a drill. I need a hole. So I need someone else that has a drill <coughs> to lend me their drill or better still come and drill my holes for me. But I don't need a drill in my life. My life is no worse off without a drill. But it would be worse off without a hole so that I can hang my pictures and do my thing. And the point is, my next slide please, you need the music. You don't need the CDs. You need the movie. You don't need the DVD disc. You need the message. You don't need the answer phone machine. And what's happening with this collaborative mindset and this use is better than possession is all this stuff is leaving our world. And we're becoming a digital, online, instant society. And I'm saying this to us because we need to wake up to this as God's people in how we do church and how we do life and not be so stuck in the ways that we think are sacred when the world is leaving us behind a million miles an hour and we can't relate to them, we can't speak to them, we don't understand them. Even the language is changing around the world of how to communicate about stuff that you want to see and want to get done. You don't need the movie, you don't need the information, you need the disc, you need the information, not the disc. And, and some of you have got thousands of these things, discs and Machines piled up all around your homes and times and situations. If you go to the stores these days, it's all changing. Now you can still probably buy a video player somewhere. <laughs> if you really think you need to have one. And just have it and have it there to look at for comfort. But then find a way to accessing all that stuff in the way that is 21st century. My next slide is, is of a car. How many of you realize that most cars sit unused 22 hours a day? Think about it. Especially if you don't do many miles and you just drive to and from your work or to and from school with the kids, the, the average car is sat 22 hours a day. Hence these sites that will come up now, zip car and car share and drive my car, are people renting their cars to strangers while they're not using it and making a lot of money. So when you're on vacation, someone rents your car. If you have large amounts of your day where you don't use your car and people in your community know that your car's registered on here, they contact you and you let them use your car. 
in the six or seven hours in the day when it stood idle, someone's driving it and they're paying you for driving it. All these networks up here are collaborative car sharing networks. It's millions and millions of users. And last year, last year, over 300 million pounds were exchanged hands through these car exchanged networks. <clears throat> People rent because they'd rather use than own and they'd rather have access than have possession of. Let's go to the next one, Landshare. Landshare is an amazing collaborative idea. Landshare is if you are a keen gardener and you'd love to have a garden but you live in a flat, you rent someone's spare garden in your neighborhood. There is over 20 million square feet of land posted on Landshare where we all live and someone that has spare land will say, I have some land, it's so big. If anyone wants to come and farm this land, grow crops, grow flowers, I don't use it, I don't like farming, I don't like gardening, then you contact that person, tell them what you want to garden, you pay them a rent for using the land, a small rent, and then maybe give them some of the stuff that you grow. It is a brilliant collaborative idea. In London, there are over 200,000 people on a waiting list for an allotment. And the waiting list is 40 years. Point being, there are people desperate for a bit of land in this cramped country of ours, desperate for a little plot, a little piece of England that they can call their own, but the, the point is, they're not going to have to own it, have the problems that come with that, they're going to rent it from someone that's not using it, and make a better job of it than what they were doing with it in the first place. Uh, go to Zilloc.com, <clears throat> that's come up now. You can rent anything online. People are renting everything from drills to cameras at Zilloc.com. In other words, if you, don't, if you don't own a drill, you can rent a drill. You can rent it for two hours and then hand it back. And then you've got the hole, but you haven't got the burden and the baggage and the expense of the drill. Supermarket, swap market rather, swapmarket.com is a $2 billion per year business. It deals in swapping kids' clothes. When you know the baby's growing out the clothes, what do we do with them? and you may be planning to have no more kids, it's your last child, this, this swapmarket.com is a massive exchanging of kids' clothes, of all ages of kids, by the way, but especially toddlers. Question, anyone got a spare room in your house? Let me see your hand. Seriously, a spare room in your house? Then you should be making money. Couchsurfing.com. I know I didn't know about this either. Couchsurfing.com is the most visited hospitality site on the internet. Couchsurfing.com is where people literally email you and say, hey, I'm in Australia next week. Any chance of keeping on your couch a couple of nights? And they will get back to you and say, yeah, couch is free. And it could literally be a couch or a spare room. You pay them something to stay overnight, but it's, it's nothing compared to what you'd pay in a hotel. So the person that is in the house is making income from couch surfing people. And it's the spare room sat there doing nothing. The couch is empty. The spare room's been empty for years. Go online. Find out what's going on. You know, I'm teaching you this today because I want you to get collaborative in your head. I want, I want to save you money like Home Exchange does and ownership, not owning stuff, saves you money and instead you rent. And I want to make you money today. Some of you, the wheels are all, some of you are like, I've got to get out of here. I am, I am, I'm on it. Some of you are like, has the Holy Spirit shown up yet? 
I'm waiting for my moment. I'm waiting for my goosebump. <laughs> what about bike sharing? Bike sharing. You know this, this London metro bike where you, 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 you grab a bike anywhere in London for a few coins and then you ride the bike all day if you want and then you drop it off somewhere else in London. It's, it's a bike rental scheme and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are using, in fact, it is the fastest growing form of transport in the world is bike sharing. Many cities in the world now have bicycle sharing. Wish it was motorbike sharing, it'd be awesome. But this is all going on under our nose. What about bagborrowsteel.com? Have we got that up there? Probably not. It's over on the left here. Over on my left here. Bagborrowsteel.com. Check this out. Is a, is a website dedicated to renting your designer handbags and jewelry and sunglasses. If you have a Chanel watch that you wear occasionally and it's sat in your jewelry box for days or weeks on end, you can rent that sucker for 150 pounds per week. So people that can't afford one pretend they have got one. It's 430 pounds a month to rent a Chanel watch. Exactly. <laughs> Louis Vuitton bags are rented for 50 pounds a week. You can't afford one, but you'd like to look like you've got one. Maybe you go into a wedding or a posh place, or you want to impress the neighbors who think you're broke. <laughs> then rent some bling. Amazing. What about this next one, park at my house? Park at my house. How fantastic. This was invented by a 23-year-old who is now a multi-multi-millionaire in 2007. A few years ago. And he was going to a ball game in San Francisco and couldn't get near parking anywhere. So he parked his car miles away and as he's walking to the, 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 the baseball ground, he sees all these people's driveways that are empty. And thinks to himself, what if these people were willing to rent their driveways, you know, once a week for the hours of the game? I think there'd be a lot of people interested in that. You, you're getting closer to the ground. You're not, paying the, you're not paying the sort of local council rates of parking or whatever who runs the parking. And so he came up with this, this idea, parkatmyhouse.com. And he's made millions from the idea. Do you have any empty space on your drive? Any piece of land that's not used, that somebody that works nearby where you work are paying a fortune to park their car all week, you could charge them half the price, still be in pocket, doesn't inconvenience you because you've gone most of the day anyway. Parkatmyhouse.com. What a great idea. See, these ideas are not, are not been invented by Christians. <laughs> We're then bringing that wealth into the church. We're too like, oh Lord, show me the way. Lord, Drop money from the sky. God's going to bless me with a, a gift from a stranger. God's going to make me a millionaire if I shabba-dabba-do more. <laughs> and the world are cleaning up. In crossing over this church 10 years ago, people started to leave this church in their droves. I have no idea why, but they did. And took their tithes and offerings with them. As we reinvented the church and changed the ch ch turned the church outward... I think it's easy you get up here and do it. <laughs> to reach the poor in the city because we weren't doing that. As we, as we turn this thing outwards towards people that 
normally were not welcome in any church, and most of them still aren't. People began to leave the church feeling uncomfortable. I might come and sit next to the kind of person I don't like. And people left, hundreds of them, and we went down financially hugely. And it really hurt us because we'd already started building this building. What was I thinking? Millions of pounds committed and tens of thousands of pounds per month going down because people had changed their minds on the building pledges and the tithing and we were in serious financial difficulty. But this was too far to stop. It was too far gone to stop this thing. And I decided in 2001, after we moved in here in 2000, we, we came into this building in January 2000 with 300 people left. No matter how you spread those chairs, it doesn't look great. <laughs> you can only put so much space between chairs without people not feeling they're in the same room. It's like, oh, I can see another person. You know what I mean? So I realized that the people's giving, that you're giving, um, that we were too dependent on it in, in a wrong sense. Because we... We're donation dependent, every charity is. But I read a book about cathedral building in Europe, an architectural book. And I picked it up on what was in it thinking, maybe there's something in there that would help me. Because my, my understanding was that it took an average of three to five hundred years to build a cathedral. Question, how in the world did they keep people interested financially in a project they'd never see finished? It's hard enough to keep people interested in a project that'll take a couple of years. And what the book taught me was that people that, that knew they'd never worship in that cathedral, for generations they'd never see it finished. The way that the priests and the ministers kept them involved financially was that they taught them that you just don't need to give financially, you need to start small cottage industries. And they will generationally grow. And that the church will be remembered in the legacies of those family businesses that later on became huge, and much of the financing of the cathedrals of Europe were from businesses that were attached to those local churches that started generations ago by their kids and kids, kids, kids that started selling a few things and then it became a huge industry whether it be farming or selling clothing or jewelry or whatever and they became the backbone of the financial plan to continue to build those cathedrals. And I said to myself, and the book said, ask yourself the question, what have you got to sell? Do you have any assets? And I'm thinking, well, we're so grateful for the people's generosity, but we can't, we can't say that's the only form of our income because I had more I wanted to do than we could finance with just our giving. And so I thought, what, what do we have that we could sell? And, and of course, church leaders don't often think this way. Maybe they do more these days, but because you know, the building's sacred and the property's sacred. And, the, and I'm thinking, I don't think I've got anything. And I'm racking my brains and I'm walking around the building while I'm reading this book thinking, and oh, I, don't, I don't know what we've got and what we could uh, make money off. And we don't have any assets anywhere that we could. <laughs> and I, I remember walking around this room here while I'm thinking what I'm telling you now, th you know, th talking to myself. And I just stood still and thought, This place is empty all week. I think we could make money on this. I think we could rent this place out to, to other people, to businesses, to corporations that would use this as a conference venue. And ALCC, Abundant Life Conference Center, was born in 2002, renting this out to local supermarket 
conventions and, you know, car launches. We had Nissan car launch here a few months ago. Came and launched their new Duke vehicle here. We've had curries here. We've had, you know, the electrical store in our country. Um, we've had uh, computer companies here. All kinds of people. They've had corporate events here. Their dinners here. Hundreds of guests, you know, black tie events here in these years since then. You know, in 2002, I couldn't believe it when we made 50,000 pounds in the first year on renting out this building. People that wanted to, people that wanted to, uh, to have access to, to use but not own. And they came for one or two nights and they were gone. And it was corporate business. It wasn't like dealing with the church to get paid. <laughs> Last year, last year, doing what I'm telling you now started in 202 with that idea from that book I read. Last year, we made 700,000 pounds renting this building. Renting this building. Lights are coming on for Jacob big time. I can see it's like, yo. And, and I realized that this is a conference venue. It was far superior anyway to the others in the area that we visited. You can park on site, state-of-the-art stuff is in here. And everybody that uses this building, they write to us and say, we had the most amazing experience because when we asked your staff, you know, sorry to bother you, but can we have another table? We, you know, we need more tables than we thought. Our staff are like, absolutely no problem. When we go to this, said to another venue and ask for things we didn't originally ask for this, well, excuse me, I'm sorry, but you didn't ask for that. It's not in the contract. You need to fill in this form, see this person, make this phone call. Uh, and by the time the table's needed, the time's gone. It's all red tape, and, but we, we realize, and I said to our staff, because sometimes this building is rented out and our staff can't park their cars and they can't get near their offices and they, we nick their desks and we nick their furniture to you know, help these corporate events happen. And our staff sometimes had an attitude about it and I sat them all down and said, listen to me, some of you, it's like an us and them, those, those conference, because we have people full-time now on staff here selling this place as a conference venue. And I said, some of you think those are the bad guys and you're the good guys. They're interfering with your anointing. I said, listen to me. What, what, you're, <laughs> what you're upset about that happened this week, what you're upset about made us 30,000 pounds. So get over it. It's like, it's like we, don't need, we, don't need, we don't need a deep spiritual conversation. 30 grand, get over it. Oh, there's the door. Because they're making me more than you are. You're costing me. Come on. Now, now we're renting our cameras. We're renting our media equipment. And we're hoping this year, I've talked to Tim about our possibility. We're hoping in this next year or so to, to do, you know, a hundred grand or so in renting our media equipment out to companies that would rather use than own. They want it for a day, a couple of days. They don't want to spend tens of thousands of pounds on owning it and then storing it and then the issue they have with it. Let me move on to my next slide. You know what they are? Storage units. Do you know why they exist? Because we all have too much stuff. Because we own, we don't use. We're infatuated with owning. Australians alone spend 10.8 billion Australian dollars a year on stuff they never use. We own on average three times more possessions than we did 25 years ago. 
We've got so much stuff that we rent storage units. There is a multi-billion dollar and multi-billion pound industry paid to people that are simply storing stuff that you can't fit in your home, but it's stuff that you don't need. There are 60,000 personal storage units in the United States. That's eight times the number of Starbucks. And it's a $22 billion a year industry in America alone. Now, next slide. Here's the typical contents of what you can't live without. Seriously. This is what is the typical contents of these storage units that you're spending hundreds of pounds on and you forget that you've got it there. It's a standing order that goes out your bank. You forget it's there. You never go and visit it. Old camping gear, lawn mowers, roller skates, kids' bikes, old computers, a clarinet, a bread maker, ice cream maker. You know that fad we had? We're going to make our own bread. Lasted about a week. <coughs> old electrical gadgets, back issues of National Geographic, stacked to the ceiling. Old souvenirs, old furniture, old sofa, old bits of piping. That's what, you, that's what you can't live without. And the stuff you never use and didn't need and haven't seen for years is costing us millions of pounds to just have it stored there. This collaborative generation that I'm talking to you about now that, what, that favors use over ownership don't do this. They simply find what they need, use it, and they hand it back. 21st century kids are the first generation to not need things. Listen to this carefully. The kids that are born in 21st century, they're, the first, they're going to be the first generation ever to not need things to find status. Or identity or satisfaction. They are going to be a use, not own generation. In fact, in America, the emerge, some of the emerging church leaders are telling me, we are not going to make the mistake of spending multi-million tens of millions of dollars on huge buildings we can't fill. We're going to rent buildings that seat about five or six, seven hundred, and we're going to rent them, and we're going to rent multiple sites, and if it really takes off and it grows, maybe we'll have an option to buy, but we're going to rent, we're going to use, we're not going to own, because it means the millions of dollars that we're wasting on buildings we can never fill, and then once we build them, we worry about will people come, we don't want that burden. Very smart, that's what I mean, this generation of thinking we will use, we won't own. Finally, my last slide. Laundrette. Here's a lesson from the laundrette, finally. In the late 1970s, Jonathan Porritt was the chairman of the Green Party in this country, advising our government on all matters green. He struggled with what became known as the Great Washing Machine Debate. In the late 70s, the laundrettes were fading out, and millions of us were buying our own washing machines. We moved from collective service to self-service, and it bothered the government. Because there was massive water usage now in the country that they didn't used to be. Massive electrical demand that they didn't used to be. And two million people a year were dumping old washers at the tip. So the whole recycling and the whole green issue became massive. The Greens' two suggestions to the government were this. Which sounds familiar when you hear them. Number one, let's put a tax on washers to stop people buying them and drive them back to the laundrettes. Number two, have an advertising campaign to get people back to the virtues of laundrette life. Finally, my final slide, brainwash. I googled this and found this out on brainwash. Brainwash, fast forward 20 years from, this, from the 80s now, the 70s to where we are. Fast forward 20 years to the same issue of people washing at home or using a laundrette. 
Jeff Zales in 1999 in San Francisco invented the Brainwash Cafe. It is a place where you go and do your laundry, but at the same time while you're there, there's a bar that has a happy hour. There's a full menued cafe. There's live music twice a week. There's stand-up comedians. There's free Wi-Fi. There's pinball machines. There's work desks. There's an art wall where people can display their art and sell their art, the local community artists. And Jeff Zale said this, customers need something to do while, while waiting for their laundry and it needs to be better than what they do at home. So if they're going to come down to brainwash cafe laundromat and have a great night out while their washing's being done, he thought maybe people want to do that. And this is not people who can't afford a washer. It's people who would rather have the social experience of the laundromat night out while their washing's getting done than be at home depressed watching the washing machine go around. Jeff is now opening more laundromats like this, brainwashers, all across America. And he said this, instead of forcing consumers to sacrifice personal convenience and comfort for doing the green thing, I'm going to make the green thing more attractive to them. He said it's not our job to change customers, but it's our job to change what we do to accommodate customers. Wow, I wish churches would learn that. We're trying to change them to fit us. And we've got to change us to fit them. The world's moving from me to a we generation. And we have got to be part of it in the way that all this stuff today is demonstrating to us. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all. But I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.